Welcome to this edition of Journals of Spiritual Discovery, brought to you by spiritualteachers.org. I'm your host, Sean Nevins. Hi, this is Sean Nevins, and welcome to Journals of Spiritual Discovery. This month, my guest is Jack O'Keefe. Jack was actually recommended by one of you listeners, so I really appreciate you putting me in touch with her. She's been on the non-dual scene since about 2008, but it would be a mistake to limit her message to just non-dual teachings. In fact, as she explains in this interview, her teaching has continually evolved over the years. And Jack's current focus is pointing to what is what she calls deeper than that in relation to non-duality. This episode also explores Jack's work with the Association for Spiritual Integrity and how that organization hopes to establish a baseline of ethical standards for spiritual teachers. I hope that you enjoy this episode. Uh, to learn more about past episodes, you can go to spiritualteachers.org forward slash podcast. I also want to give a special thanks to those of you who've become monthly supporters. I really appreciate that. And you can see those supporter options on that link that I just mentioned. You can also leave comments or shoot me an email. Lastly, I just want to mention the TAT Foundation's August workshop is fast approaching. TAT consistently offers some of the best spiritual events on the East Coast, so I recommend that you make time for this event, if at all possible. The August workshop is titled Beyond Mindfulness, Meditation, and the Path Within. For more information about that, just go to tatfoundation.org, find the About button at the top of the page, and look for current events. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you, Jack, for uh, taking time out of your day to do this. I really appreciate that. Oh, my pleasure, Sean. Sure. Uh, in regards to uh, your history or your story, I know that you've told that in several other places. And uh, I'm, I'm actually going to suggest that uh, listeners, if they want to hear the full story, uh, I listened to your interview that uh, Rick Archer did on Buddha at the Gas Pump. Yes. Uh, and I thought that did an excellent job of really covering your story, and and I would direct people to that, and uh, and then hopefully we can spend a little more time talking about what's going on in your life today and how your teachings have evolved and those sorts of things. Great, and there's a text version of that historical awakening story, if I can call it that, on my website also. So some people prefer text and some people provide video. So it's in both formats. Good, good. Well, I will, I'll look that up and I'll provide a link to that in the show notes for this episode. And then uh, people can just go to the show notes and find that link and hit Great. your website from Thanks, there. John. Sure, absolutely. I, I listened to uh, uh, several different uh, videos on YouTube uh, I saw you speaking at the SAN conference in 2017, uh, and then uh, you also did a workshop, it looked like, at the SAN conference in mm-hmm. 2018. And, and it's certainly, I was, I was really, uh, I was really 
both surprised and uh, happy to see you sort of threw down a gauntlet almost at the SAND 2017 (laughs) conference. And uh, I was just curious if you could if you could talk a little bit about what you see as the, the current state of spiritual teachings and and what you see as an answer to mm-hmm. that, perhaps. That's a wide open question and a very interesting one. Yeah. It is. If we look at Eastern traditions and Western traditions, I think that might give us a context from where I can approach the question. Since 50s, 60s, 70s, so much of the scriptures and the traditions from Asia have infiltrated and happily thrown out you know, um, following religion and being isolated to find spirituality that is outside of religion and having to do that on the quiet for the last 60, 70, 80 years, we've had much more of um, an openness because of the availability of, of scriptures and teachings from the East. However, whatever is in, is preserved and held within a cultural context comes with the cultural conditioning and it doesn't quite fit in here as readily as what we might think. And our tradition here, while there was amazing philosophical studies and spiritual mysticism and a wealth of other approaches of spirituality through the years, we also have a psychological wave of development that's like almost 200 years old now. And we've been looking at culturally, I suppose, looking at is there a way where psychological well-being, health, how we manage our lifestyles, how we manage ourselves as human beings, does that have any connection at all to our spiritual depth, truth, exploration? And it's very clear that that our evolution, to me anyway, our evolution of spirituality is moving towards a taking, taking both both a psychological well-being and the spiritual truth and finding where is that compatible and it is compatible and it gives us a deeper depth of spiritual exploration. And that's the magic of what's beginning to unfold now. If we look at some traditions that have come from Western religions, but also, you know, preserved within the ancient teachings in Eastern religions, Things like poverty, chastity, and obedience. What's been the way of dealing with them? Well, let's push them out of awareness. Let's set up vows. Let's make them not an issue. And here we are in the West saying, hmm, poverty, money. Chastity, sex. Obedience, well, that's a minefield because we're surrendering authority to something else. And what we have found is if we look at these three issues, we cannot live a regular life in the world and avoid these things. So how do we deal with these things and embrace them as part of our humanity? And that is where I feel, in a simplified version, that's where I feel the evolution of spirituality is going now. 
And what it will make for is a better human being who embodies spiritual truth. It's around the manifestation of truth because truth is the unchanging realm. However, the human being has to be evolved in order to house that truth, not by hiding from our humanity and from what makes us human, but by understanding and embracing the challenges that it presents and wanting to grow and evolve and learn and be better versions of ourselves in order to respond to that which knows no limits, knows no rules, knows no um, I suppose, limitations of what's unspiritual. Everything is part of the manifestation of truth unfolding. Everything is included within it. And if we have blocked off sections due to religiosity, then in some way we're blocking off our humanity. And that's the challenge for contemporary spiritual teachers and people who who live a human life while undergoing a spiritual search. So I've I've heard you use the phrase uh, something to the effect of the separate self, the non-dual yes. and deeper. So when you're when you're talking about the and deeper, is this what you're talking about, this deeper depth of spiritual exploration? The going deeper can't happen unless there is an integrated process of the how you physically are in the world, not denying any of that, and and your recognition of truth and how you marry the two. If they're successfully married, there is some chance of going deeper. But you can't go deeper than the non-dual level of awareness, you can't go deeper than it unless there's some other integration happening. And for myself, it was 2011, 12 maybe, when I remember waking up one morning, just my eyes popping wide open, going, oh my gosh, there is identity with the absolute in the non-dual level of awareness. There is, because I can say I am all of it. And, and in that frequency, that zone, that taste of this, you know, of knowing that there is just oneness beyond concept, that, that, that visceral recognition that there is just oneness. I'm like, so if I were to take identity out of that, if that idea that that's what, what I was Okay, let's pull that out. And a trapdoor opened, Sean. Something plummeted through. Now, what's the something? The, uh, the question, what's the something, comes from the idea that there must be identity. So if when the band-aid of identity gets pulled away, we fall deeper than the non-dual teachings. So that's prior to the non-dual. So I've pretty much left the non-dual teachings for the last chunk of years since then. Um, There's a place for them and there's a place where they don't go. But they're hugely important in stabilizing the non-dual level of awareness. But from there, it's about integrating it in life and, and not being a jerk while we can stand in the truth. And not dismissing life because the the non-dual perspective is perhaps dominant, but being able to use both lenses of perception at the same time. 
Only when that's integrated can we go deeper and we actually find out that, oh my gosh, consciousness itself is a sequence of concepts. Space, the vastness, the infinite, those concepts get pulled away and it goes into a whole other realm altogether. And the only, non-dual doesn't touch it. It kind of points and it says, you know, para-Brahman. And that would be the, the, the Hindu pointer. But it it absolutely holds you in the, no, there is nothing deeper than the non-dual awareness. Anything else is just going to be mind trying to go with you. And it's like, actually, that's not true. I have found that that's not true. And so for those who are ready, I, I can see an openness for those who have integrated and see the see the um, the integral part of their humanity, how that plays as being a, an authentic manifestation of truth, seeing how that all of that is underpinned by identity, with all of it or none of it. It's like okay, throw away identity with all of it and none of it. Throw away that. What are the building blocks of consciousness itself? Going deeper than space, vastness, infinite. Going deeper than a concept-making mechanism. All right, then we go into something else. When when you're referring to or you're seeing uh, what are called non-dual teachings, uh, it sounds to me like you're saying that there is still an identification at least with a lot of people, and that are you saying that they're identified with, oh, I now have a non-dual awareness, or I now see what non-dual awareness is, or I now understand what non-dual awareness is. Is that what you're referring to? Yes and no. That's the non-integrated version, because there is that I that owns it. When when it is in integrated and more embodied even then in that pure state there is a non-dual identification still active and that's the part that makes the non-dual the flip side like an opposing polarity to the dual and what i'm talking about is outside of that polarity well what you're talking about in terms of the the next step or yeah, the, the end deeper. deeper the end deeper right yeah yeah non-dual to me and i'm not speaking about non-dual teachings or non-dual teachers uh but the very word non-dual says that there is no flip side mm-hmm. doesn't it ideally the word non-dual means exactly what it implies that there is no flip side there is no other it does However, it says that's your true nature. So it's halfway there. It says there's no flip side, but it says that's your true nature. And it's that pocket that is the flip side to the jewel. Because that has, that still contains a thread of identity. So you see, Mm. that's your true nature. Mm -hmm. You are divine. You are human. It's like, okay, that's where it's playing flip side. Sure, there is a realm of non-jewel that has no flip side. Sure. But it contains identity, and that's the problem. It's in the breaking, seeing through of that piece of identity in the non-flip side part of it. It's it's subtle. There's layers mm-hmm. of it. You know, it gets finer and finer. But the trouble is, the identity never breaks, and that's the thing that cracked open for me. And I went, "Holy crap! This is this. this I 
there's something deeper. There's a teaching somewhere that's de deeper. And and in terms of that, uh, in terms of that, have you found? Do you feel like there are some? Uh, are there sacred writings or different traditions that are that actually address this and deeper, and they've just been forgotten? Yeah, or? somebody has told me that it's in um, Zogchen. Uh, scriptures mm. from one of the Buddhist traditions. And so I bought one mm -hmm. book and um, and I read three quarters of it. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. They're completely pointing to what I'm talking about. It was just beautiful. And other people who have, you know, been much more familiar with the Buddhist tradition than I would ever have been are saying that though mm -hmm. that Zogchen, the material of that Zogchen has only been made available to the public in the last 50 years also. So it's like there's this um, wealth of guidelines that are there to support and ensure that we can evolve, we can evolve um, en masse our understanding of what, what the truth is and, and, and the depths, the infinite and beyond the infinite, beyond, beyond, beyond. It's already there. It's not anything new, but it's not mainstream. And, and I'm glad it's not mainstream, really. Because it's so important to get stabilized in the non-dual. It really is important. Because, and, and I mean stabilized in the non-dual in terms of integrating who you are as a person, rather than just grabbing a spiritual concept in order to negate, which, of course, is our version of push it out of your awareness, just like the vows that religious di religions did, you know? And that's the danger. It's like we've got to integrate in about how the truth, how the non-dual awareness shows up in my life and in every part. And do I kid myself and do I dismiss and do I judge in the name of it being truth? You see, it's, it's very tricky. So if I'm doing that, then there's crap in my life that I'm not willing to look at. And I'm using spiritual concepts in order to, you know, just hide from myself, hide from my humanity, because I know something better, because the truth is the only thing is real, and this isn't real. And that kind of bullshit has left us in a right mess. So we're entering into a new era of where, okay, we've got to integrate, stable in the non-dual, take full responsibility for our humanity and our divinity, then, then something deeper can open when we're ready. Something deeper can open, and pointing to that is is where my work has gone in recent years. This uh, experience you described as identity falling away, I can imagine that being conceived as, oh, well, if identity falls away, that's just going to leave someone who's like Ramana Maharshi in his cave, where the ants are just chewing on his leg because he's He's in. Uh, he's completely and utterly unidentified with the self and the body. That's right. But that doesn't that's, sound that's like the that's gem of it, Sean. I'm so glad you pulled it back into a real example. It's not that at all, because that type of um, that example shows me a lack of integration. And I'm not really talking about Ramana. It's just that that's an example for this context because he's. His teachings, as far as I can see, stopped at the non-dual, which is perfect because that's what needed to be around so that we could all could get there and stabilize there. But the body is pulled in real life, mortgages and, and marriages 
rearing children gets pulled in and it's like well well how how can being fully human from the non-dual perspective and the human perspective how can they coexist how does this flow out into the world and it's not by ignoring you know the ants that are biting your legs that isn't um isn't a wide enough viewing point for what I'm talking about. The wide enough viewing point includes all of it. Includes it. it the the level of awareness is so expansive before it can go into prior and deeper than all of that. It's so expansive that the context is available for every human experience to be dealt with. The awareness doesn't shut out any experience in preference for or because of limited bandwidth. There's no um, exclusion of any part of any human experience. Uh, In that, if identity falls away, that doesn't mean that Sean or Jack somehow vanishes. They're still here. They're still alive. Um, they're just they're operating from some unimaginable perspective. So it feels like, and and this is just where I'm at, and it might change again. Who knows? Maybe in five years' time, I'll be talking about something else. I, I'm I'm wide open to this magical journey wherever it goes. It feels like. The viewing point Mm -hmm. is very wide and it doesn't deny anything. So there's no denial of the Jack experience. It seems to be in proportion like it's never been before. There is a sense of an understanding of what humanity really is about that I didn't even know I didn't have before. There's a sense of being human that clicked in as a consequence of this shift. And it's because of the inclusivity. It's a very wide viewing point. Am I making sense? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And uh, and I, where does, because I feel like I, I feel like I know what you're talking about. Great. Where does for you, uh, ethics or morals or uh, ways of behaving in the world that, uh, f- uh, for example, the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. thou shall not kill. Mm-hmm. Where does that sort of thing for you fit into this wider viewpoint? Does Jack feel like, uh, uh, you know, I must be kind to people i must not harm other beings i Mm -hmm. where where does that where does that what does that look like for you now yeah that's a great question within each component of my being i'm a woman i'm a wife i'm you know that's the normal human part i'm a friend to some people i'm a daughter to my mother so these different roles that are played Each one has their own set of norms, I could say rules. Um, The rules would have to be, if, if I come into the fullness of each part of my being, if it's integrated, 
same word, different word for the same thing, then the rules get integrated into, internalized rather, into who I am in that perspective. That part of who I am has a certain set of laws and norms that operate within that realm. So there is there is an integrated code of 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 the I suppose the, the organic best version of who I can be as a wife or best version of who I can be as a friend and it's not because of external rules I suppose originally it would have been because we have to learn how to how to function in the right. world you know and it starts right. there with external conditioning and then we internalize what works and we heal what what has traumatized us. And we throw that off when we find what's the authentic me? What's the authentic? What, what value can I place on things? What meaning does friendship have for me or being a wife have for me? And so these, these values and these ethical behaviors become internalized. So there's an external and then there's an internal the internal then isn't a set of external rules. It comes from me being honest with myself and me checking to see if if there is a better version of that now that I can aspire to. Now, the, the thing about a better version, it's not from trying to be good. It's not from any of those dualistic things. It comes from the virtue of being human. I have found that when this other understanding of what it means to be human burst open, Somehow I synchronized, my sense was that I synchronized with nature, that the evolution of the cycle of a, a, some part of me dying and another version of me, of me birthing, this natural growth, natural evolution, natural wanting to promote moving towards what's good and wholesome is innate to the evolutionary rhythm of nature. And that's that was the human aspect that was just beautiful to unfold. It's like, oh my God, it's not about being good or bad or any of that, actually. No, it's not. It's this love of educating myself, of expanding curiosity about the world. I kind of feel more like animals and plants there's something has synchronized with what's in Mother Earth herself. That has to do with what I would call education and improvement and evolution. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of um, we as a species have so separated ourselves from uh, the plants and the animals that we, we talk about the natural world and the man-made world. Yes. As if somehow there's a separation. Yes. We're, we are not part of the natural world. We're separate from it. Yes, yes. And to our detriment, as we can see globally, you know, it's, it's in our face now, the, the, the consequence of, of that level of separation. Um, and there's a balance. I'm not, I'm not saying, come on, let's live in tree houses. It's nothing to do with that at all. It's that there's an organic alignment between our humanity and what Mother Earth does, and that mm -hmm. that that mm, that influences us, and that awakens within us when when there is an integration 
of all aspects of our humanity. And it comes from a core value of not anything that's of the world, but it's of humanity itself. And it's it's the the rhythm of evolution that that has those ethics, honesty, purity. That's where they arise from. And we just put labels on them as we bring it into the non-dual and as we bring it into the dual, because that's what we do. We make story out of everything. And so does behaving badly happen? I find in myself that something is making my heart be increasingly open. Not because compassion or coming from the heart is is a higher aspiration spiritually. I have no interest in any aspiration. I'm interested in being as honest with myself as I can. I'm really interested in in, in listening and honouring whatever moves within me. And I have found the deeper I go in, in that organic will to move that way, the deeper I go, the more it tends to be what the universe might call compassionate or from the heart. But it's not the motivating factor to come from the heart. You see, it's a consequence that it comes from the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so along the way, I can see when there is unethical behavior, it's like, okay, let me try and understand where that came from, if it's in myself or somebody else. And invariably, it's a blind spot. And the beauty about blind spots is we don't know they're blind because that's the definition. We don't know what we're blind, what we're not seeing. But if we take time to really stay within and explore, could that have been different? Why is my attention even drawn to that conflict? Why, why am I even looking at that? What's going on there? And if we really investigate, it's amazing the subtle blind spots that will always be coming up for exploration because that's the evolution it doesn't ever end it can't end it's like saying well you know mother nature has done her thing she's going to stop evolving now it's like we're a product of that we 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 came out of uh, you know fish <laughs> then monkeys you know we 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 came out of water originally it keeps moving it keeps transforming even when our perspective moves way out of creation into prior to what's created and even even deeper than what there can be any concept that I can only barely point to even there the 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 full expansive of what can show up and appear within its own movie or what can never show up because it's outside of the movie the transparency runs right through right through to the Jack role as a wife, runs right through. It, the, the wide, mm, all-encompassing perspective never negates any part of itself, and that includes the blind spots. You mentioned the experience of identity falling away, mm. uh, and, and then you've also talked about evolution or an evolutionary impulse. Do you feel that 
uh, Jack uh, will someday die and that will be the end of that character? Or do you feel like there is a, is there a soul or is there a, an energy that is Jack that will continue on and that will have new experiences? Do you have any sense of that? Mm. <clears throat> yeah. You know, I was conditioned by the Eastern traditions that said, well, once, you know, a, a true awakening happens, that's it. Reincarnation stops. Right. I don't go with that anymore because the energy that shows up as Jack is just going to get recycled. It's just going to get recycled. And I've noticed that we tend to idolize a way out. We idolize the transcendental. We look for meaning. We look for a goal in the transcendent. And somehow the normality of energy just keeps recycling itself makes much more sense. And it seemed to have freed me up from that spiritual conditioning that, oh yeah, after awakening, whew, I'm out, I'm out. It's like, really? <laughs> no, it's like, hey, a gazillion lifetimes? This movie is, is exquisite and horrendously painful. And the beauty of that, the beauty of it, the capacity to experience within this movie is the only place that it exists, you know, and the movie will keep recycling itself in some version. Of course it will. And the energy that shows up as Jack, sure, that's just part of the big melange that is going to recycle itself. I could compartmentalize it and say, you know, the energy form or the soul. It's like, uh, yeah, I could say any and all of those things. Fundamentally, just energy really is neither created nor destroyed you know, which I learned back in science in my high school years. Um, it just moves from one form to another. And that, it, there's a freedom and a, a, a wisdom within myself that I feel when I'm like, of course, it will just recycle forever, of course. And there's a beauty in that surrender that that's how the movie works. That's just how the movie works. That infinity is built into the movie. Even if the human race, you know, we destroy ourselves and it, some, some life form, something, consciousness will keep unfolding as it does. And, and you know, this in this realm, consciousness is the baseline of it. And m m my work now talks about prior to consciousness. And it's like, actually, you know, let's consider that there is something underpinning a whole other spectrum that doesn't, that is not consciousness. Consciousness is the baseline for us. And of course, when we hit that baseline, it shows up as truth. Go deeper than that. And it's like, oh, I see. I see. <laughs> You've got that non-dual where there's where there's no, neither this nor that, where it's outside of all of it. And then we go deeper than that again, deeper than that again where every, every concept-making mechanism is gone, where consciousness itself breaks down. And, and 
somehow the possibility see I'm, I'm going to contradict myself now because words are really stupid because they're so far down the 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 rollout of consciousness appearing as form that they're completely obsolete but it's all I got because we're talking about what's deeper than consciousness within something that is only based on the baseline of consciousness so so can't there be something else that is not underpinned by consciousness how wide can it go and somehow the potentiality and the possibilities show up as we broaden our capacity to be aware and that can only come through embracing all parts of our humanity through embracing the densest of the dual while we're standing in the non-dual not not dismissing the dual, but from the non-dual, seeing it for the beauty of what it is. No negating, no dismissing, no judgment, but underpinned by this impulse to evolve the rhythm of the natural flow of unfolding of where where the expansion of awareness is organic. It gets to be exquisite and the energy that is that recycles itself. And what part of the Jack being would recycle? I've no clue. I've no clue, but for sure. I mean, whatever energy shows up here, it's part of the main thing. Why would it, how could it step out? mm, How could it? There's already a, a, an outside of all of it that somehow has a a, 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 a portal, an insight, a, a, a seepage into the phenomenal life of Jack. Is that as good as it gets? I don't know. Thank you for that. I think, uh, yeah, I think we've hit about as many words as we could try to <laughs> get across what we're talking about. <laughs> Along that line, and uh, yeah, it's, if 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 it resonates with people, great. And if they have no idea what was just talked about, hopefully, so we'll we'll stumble upon something else that may resonate with folks. Yeah, and and I'm 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 just learning how to verbalize this. Um, and my way always, Sean, has been what's what what's my own path teaching me. And invariably, I later see some scripture because I'm not under any illusions that I'm discovering something that was never, I mean, that was never here before. It's all been here before, of course. But I'm interested in how I find it and what's my experience of it. And that, that makes me feel good, phenomenally. Invariably, after I have the experience of it, I tend to find it somewhere or somebody points me to a book that that echoes what my experience is. So as a result, I don't have any jargon. I don't have any, you know, an eloquence around it yet. My challenge is always, how can I find the vocabulary to communicate this? And so I totally am with any listeners who are like, what are they talking about? Because part of it is I mightn't have the vocabulary. But if there's a felt sense of what I'm talking about, then hey, hey, this has been such a worthwhile conversation. 
And yes, and that's actually, um, I wanted to segue into that um, evolution of your teachings, let's say. Uh, you've been you've been a, a spiritual teacher since is it two thousand eight two thousand nine somewhere yeah. in there or yeah. before yeah around there yeah and I was you know I was teaching other stuff before the non jewel grabbed me you know so so you know I went through the new age I went through all these various um, you know mainstream spirituality that that doesn't drop into that depth. So mm-hmm. with this material, to, I suppose 2007, thereabouts, and then it shifted from the non-dual by 2012. I started to find vocabulary, I suppose. 2014, I'm like, all right, okay, now I have enough words to start pointing. You know? Yeah, it keeps mm-hmm. moving. And do you, I've, I've, only seen, uh, I've only seen the YouTube videos uh, of talks that you've given and and we've we've talked a bit about the limitation of words and concepts mm-hmm. and is there um well I mean, what what else do you bring to your teaching style or teaching methods um are you is it generally talks or do you have guided meditations or you do energy work or what what are some of the different aspects of what you bring to the table to help people that's a good question the residential retreats are certainly i don't know can i say the word potent um they move they move the participants a little bit more i think and here's why the residential retreats, we have no social talking so that folks spend their mental attention watching to see, well, what are the hooks? What are the stories going up in my mind? Because they don't chat to each other. What's really important, I've noticed in the residential retreats is that we chant every night. And there's something in music that consolidates or energetically breaks through what happens during the day and it's only from people the following day saying it was the chanting last night it was something happened in the chanting I, 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 I don't know what that is but I know when we sing and when we use the vibration of sound transformation happens that drops it from the conceptual, intellectual unraveling into something much deeper that's understood viscerally. Um, and the weekend, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, the weekend meetings don't have the chanting and I see the difference. I, I did energy work for years in a private practice and that for sure is is part of what I do, though it's not visibly um, obvious. I also went into therapy myself for moving my own stuff. I started when I was like 19. And so, you know, from spending years and years in therapy and doing an awful lot of self-inquiry of shoveling my own stuff and the willingness to continue to do so, you pick up a hell of a lot of tools. And so those tools I readily give to students. 
So we could be talking about prior to consciousness and the next minute we're unlocking a piece of trauma because energetically the prior to consciousness dialogue cannot but shake the structure that holds somebody's latent trauma that happened at a pre-verbal stage. The frequency that's in the room because we're talking about outside of all of it, it, it disturbs something that was just sitting latently in somebody's body and so Mm -hmm. and so i i love it makes my heart sing when we're talking about childhood trauma and 20 minutes later we're talking about prior to consciousness and we're back again to talk about how to manage in relationships because somehow the i i sense that the space of awareness the inclusivity is is being opened within the group itself and a capacity for people's bandwidth to not compartmentalize different parts of their lives. Somehow the structures that keep, well, there's my spiritual practice and, and here's how I am at work and here's how I am at home, but there's my spiritual practice. And that compartmentalization has to break, has to break. If it doesn't break, then we have somebody who goes to the non-dual and dismisses the dual. And it's like, well, that doesn't matter because that's only in the movie. It's like everything matters some of the time. Everything is valid within its own frequency of existence. And so going to those zones with ease, the fluidity, rather than the flip-flopping between the dual and the non-dual, for example, somebody saying, gosh, you know, I was in that drama and I completely forgot about the bigger picture. I didn't even see I was in my own mind loop for two days or for two hours. And it's like, OK, my job is to widen the view so that if there is a blind spot, you're, you're moving like the tide, ebbing and flowing your attention. But at the same time, you're standing in the ocean. And the tide moves forward and touches a mind loop, a trigger, a blind spot. That's an old piece of conditioning. And it pulls away from it again. So rather than standing in the observer or getting caught, it's not an either or points of perspective. Integration happens in the wider view. You see, I can't remember your question, Sean. I think I went off on a tangent. <laughs> no, no, no. You're still, uh, you're still in the in the line of the question. Oh, thank um, heaven. We, yeah, we were we were talking about uh, basically what your different teaching methods mm. are. Ah, yes. What it, what it's like working with you. Yeah. Uh, do you do you still work with individuals or is it just group in a group setting? Now? I do both. I do both. Yeah. I do residential okay. retreats. I do some weekends, um, and I do one to one via Skype, Zoom. Yeah, I do one to one also. Yeah, and I I write a bit. I know there's a few books in me, but um, yeah, I'm Irish, you know, and we talk a lot. Um, mm-hmm. so, and, and, and we sing a lot and, and I suppose that's bleeding through, you know, my cultural heritage, uh, it, some part of me just finds joy in that because it's part of Jack, you know? Um, and so that's woven its way in, into the work and it's, it, it still wants to be honored. And sure, of course I'll honor it. If it can be of service, then win, win. Um, I know there's a few books in me. Um, so I've started to to open the faucet as regards writing. 
Um, and it feels like a huge transition to go from verbal to to the written. And, and I feel that's a shift that's going to come in the next few years. Um, so, you know, I, I would also love to be a full-time gardener, you know. I mean, <laughs> that's there too. But, you know, life life does what it does with one, doesn't it? Well, I did. I did want to ask you: uh, Are you living full time in the South now of the U.S.? I am. I am. I, I landed in Florida by default. I married a, a man from North Florida. Um, this is where okay. we are for now. But you know, I, I never um, stay in the one place too long. So let's see how we manage. <laughs> let's see. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was just curious when I when you mentioned that you were in the South. Yeah. Uh, yeah, as you were, I think at one time, weren't you in uh, Costa Rica or That's somewhere? right. Yeah, okay. that was just 10 months. Um, it was supposed to be longer, but I'm afraid that was a closing, not an opening. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and the shift physically happened there, that 2011, 2012. It was, it was that time. It was, you know, waking up one morning in my in my tent <laughs> in that community that we set up. Um, but I got sick in, in sorry. Yeah. In 2011, 2012, where that eureka about about the, the, the bottom of the non-dual teachings falling through that was in Costa Rica. But I got sick in Costa Rica. It, I, I got sick. I couldn't sustain it at all. So so I walked from that to sometimes sometimes you just got to honor what the inner movement is you know now, do you think um in the in the tibetan tradition or at least in some tibetan traditions is there's the idea of an enlightened being will behave a certain way and, and look a certain way and that basically that um a right action or right behavior will automatically spring from in the enlightened state that mm. that doesn't sound to me like what you're talking about and, and i'm curious if you think that that is perhaps the tibetans are talking about an even deeper state or this is just a mythology that has grown up around the enlightened state what's your opinion on that yep you named it they're talking about a deeper state um they are talking about a deeper state. What we haven't recognized is our love for, I'm a done deal. There it is. Awakening has happened. It's all over. I'm out of it. I don't get caught in drama anymore. And the attachment that we have to the, the, the plateau that the non-dual awakening gives us. And in a way, you can't but enjoy that phase in that way for a while but there is so much more and what happens is that there is this assumption that everything that happens from there is now free and clear and all that's happening is that components of the ego have found a new hiding place and they hide behind the shell of a non-dual awakening and of course, they will fester and become very toxic. And what happens is bad practice, unethical behavior. And so we have fallen for the idea that, that evolution is not continuous. We, we want there to be a goal, 
And that's our human goal setting, faraway hills are greener component in our mind, which has not been transcended. And so we we want to believe that the non-dual awakening is where that which moves through our form is from the source. And oh my, there is a long way to go between the non-dual awakening and when source, that which moves all, is moving through our mind and our body and that our mind and our body is so clean and clear that it serves only to be used by that which moves all. And without doing a lot of personal work, there is no way that one could discern what's what's being sabotaged by my mind. Where am I getting off on the power play? Where am I justifying my behavior because of my state? If I feel, yes, this came from the source, double check it, triple check it. Are you sure? Are you sure you're not getting off on it? Are you sure? And also, you know, there. then from the student's perspective, we also have been given a huge amount of power at the cost of the student's power. And I want to give students back their power and saying, you are your own teacher. You use me as a tool. You use me as a tool. There is no guru model here. That that will keep you forever in the model of religion because you have to surrender that which is external being in any way greater than you. It has to be thrown off. Very useful for a phase, but for maturity, it has to go. So, so many shift from being student to being guru. And it's like, oh my God, you never dismantled the whole model. Because if you go to being guru, that model of student guru is still alive. You've just swapped out the roles. And so the 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 power differential and the dysfunction that can lie therein, it's very tempting for the ego to to you know reshape itself in subtle ways that are fundamentally abusive. And that and that ties directly into um, what I believe uh, is called the Association for Spiritual Integrity. That's that right. That's ASI? right. That's right. And is that something that uh, you were one of the the founders of that group or yeah. instigators? Yeah, it, it, it's inception. Uh, 2017, three, four, four different presenters, unbeknownst to each other, made presentations at the Science and Non-Duality Conference about teachers behaving badly and we ended up having lunch on Sunday saying, okay, this is kind of weird. What are we going to do? Four of us are coming with the very same topic from four very different angles. And so from that, it took us a year to to create the Association for Spiritual Integrity. We now have 501c3 status. We have developed a code of ethics, which really is an entry point. The code of ethics is, is like... You know, if you're a teacher, abide by some code of ethics. There must be some set of what's good and what's not what's not good. If you got it as a kid of what's good behavior, fantastic. If you got it from the Ten Commandments, fine. If you didn't get it from anywhere and you think you were, you know, exposed to unhealthy, abusive behavior in the adults around you, then try our code of ethics in order to align with, with some 
some ethical practices that basically keep you out of trouble. Then the next step is to integrate those, to do the work to integrate them so that it's part of your being, because you'll find that the code, one will find that the code of ethics or any decent code of ethics, and the one that we've tried to uh, present here is is a reflection of the deepest knowing that I have. How does the, the, the deepest connection that I that I have to date, how does that show up in manifestation within a world of guidelines and rules and good practices? How how can that flow through without being manipulated in any way? So it's like, can my body and my mind be, be of service through a code of ethics that is in alignment with the deepest source? And it's that type of integration that I think all spiritual leaders and teachers need to abide by. Um, and it's an evolving code, you know, as, as we evolve as human beings. Of course, everything is subject to change and growth. Once, once we formed the Association for Spiritual Integrity, more and more of, of the problems that are inherent as root causes of why there is an absence of spiritual integrity in the spiritual, non-dual and wider spiritual fields today, more and more of it is because, number one, psychological work has been dismissed. Number two, there's a lack of boundaries. Number three, the power differential. How do we use the power that that is? You know, if, if you're giving a service, even if we put it into that category, if we're giving a service to guide people on their spiritual practice, we, we do have some power. We're influencing people. And how do we do that in the cleanest, clearest, most honorable way? Um, looking at teachers who don't have regular friends. The amount of teachers who only have students as friends, that's, biz that's bizarre. The amount of teachers who only date people within their student, it's like, what? How can you move from a sexual relationship from, from a teacher-student? It's like, there are 20 steps in order to normalize and balance that relationship. Like, we can't even go there. That's one point that at... At board level, well, board level, you know, at the organizational core level of the ASI, Association for Spiritual Integrity, we actually can't agree on the steps that it takes to go from teacher students to where it's actually an equal to willing consensual adults with no power differential to date with each other, like to go into a relationship. How do they do that? How do they do that? We can't even agree. So we've so much to learn. Um like I, one of my my um, litmus tests is to teachers. Okay, do you have friends who don't really understand what your work is? Who they're like, yeah, I know you do some spiritual stuff, but I don't really, I don't really get it. That's very healthy. That's very healthy. If if our human side is still in touch with the regular world, and we don't in any way, we can be in a friendship without in any way hiding behind the the job the vocation the truth of what you are whatever you want to call it that your awakened state is 
Can you function in the world and not hide behind it? What would that look like? And how do you operate in the world if you don't hide behind it? How do you operate? And that, I think, is is, um, a pointer towards integration, which, you know, wholeness, integrity, you know, and and that's what spiritual integrity looks like for me right now. What's what's been the reception among spiritual teachers to this idea of a, of a code of ethics in a and an organization that's attempting to attempting to hold people to a, a standard yeah it's we, we have the code of ethics but are we holding people to a standard or attempting to I'm not sure we're we're doing that you see I'm, I've no interest in being a policing organization of any sort I want to be involved in changing our culture from the Eastern model to integrate to a culture that's more appropriate for our culture. What does that look like? I don't know. Really, Sean, I'm making it up as I go along and I'm learning as I go along. So those who have joined and to date, you know, we, we, it's just word of mouth. People are finding us by default. This is actually the, the, the first non-ASI podcast that that I ventured towards so because the reason for that is that there has been a reluctance in me to say what we're really about because I want to respond to our community what are the needs within the community so we meet every six weeks on a a zoom call conference call anybody who's a spiritual leader can join it's free We're funded by donation. Every other six weeks to date tends to be we just meet ourselves or we get somebody to talk to us and teach us about the right use of power, about transference and counter-transference, about issues that come up that we might not have had training in in our regular lives before we became spiritual teachers and leaders. So it really is a supportive organisation that can change the culture to integrate who we are as spiritual teachers and leaders within a regular life. And so that we become better at what we do because we are better people, because we're engaging in growth and learning ourselves and not hiding. So those who see what we're really about are totally behind it. I've gotten emails saying it's an honour to be part of this. Can I help in any way? And yet there has been those who've said, you're a policing organization. You have no right to judge how I, you know, to, to, to imagine that I am unethical. And I'm like, hey, listen, I don't know what's going on for you. But if you join, if, if you'd like to come and hear what we're about, we're here to support each other. It's peer support. It's peer growth. But that's frightening for a lot of people, Sean, because when you're hiding behind the shell, you don't want to. You're up on a pedestal. And it's it's fear-based. The, the rejection of the ASI is fear-based. That's what we found. Uh, so it's not for everybody. But anybody who's like, who's arrived at the point of, heck, you know, I've more to learn. There's more. The teachings are fine. But me as a human being, I, I want help. I want to know am I doing okay? You know, and I've heard people, you know, speak a different uh, 
well, on YouTube, at different events on YouTube, saying, well, there's nobody I can talk to. Even Romana Maharshi used to say that, well, there's nobody I can talk to. And it's like, I'm suspicious when somebody says that, because I remember having that thought in 2009, 10 and 11, thinking there's nobody really I can talk to. And now that I see that's a symptom, actually, of non-integration. It's a symptom. There's something sticky there if you think there's nobody you can talk to. That's a limited viewing point. It's about embracing our humanity and an organic humility grows out of that. And, and, And that's integration of all the parts of us, fully human, fully divine and deeper than all of that. But that's my particular thing is deeper than all of that. Um, and so the ASI, you know, anybody at all who who is in a role uh, of spiritual leadership, we're wide open. And, and the cross-fertilization of different spiritual traditions is amazing. It's amazing to see, oh my God, there's a piece of spiritual conditioning that I never came across because they follow that path. How does that weave in and does that honor and support mm, their deeper knowing or is it conducive to blind spots? So we're learning from each other. And we found that the younger members are wide open to like, hey, hey, how can I be better at what I do? And the older teachers, those of us who are at it longer, tend to be a little bit shy of being vulnerable. We've had a little bit more of the conditioning of you're done once you're awakened. There's a little bit more of, oh, it's my students, it's not me. And it's like, well, maybe take it for a walk. It might be you, you know? It's like, and it's okay. And the freedom that comes when you when you unpack another blind spot. And the blind spots are there, even though you know it's a movie, you know it's not who you are, you know, you. you it's like, of course, they will always be unpacking, always be unpacking. And that's the beauty of, of how the the level of awareness expands. We can help more people and, and be more filled with a higher frequency ourselves as we expand our, our view. And the only way we can do that is by unpacking our own blind spots. It's a win-win. But it means a shift in culture, a huge shift in culture. And that's what the ASI is about. So we're going where, where I don't think anybody has gone because before because it's of its time we're trying to find the Western model that's healthier and supportive for ourselves in our humanness, for ourselves in our profession. And, and how, can, how can we arrive at that space that a lot of the t- Tibetan teachings have talked about, you know, is that that which moves all moves through a clear mind and a clear body. And we know in the West, trauma stuff will be held at a cellular memory. It's like, yes, this is where trauma release, body work comes in. This is something that the West can add to make us cleaner and clearer and and better at what we do. Why not? Why not? There's no end to the stories of the teachers who fall from grace. Uh, yeah. Is, uh, yeah. That's almost becoming the norm these days, it seems like. Uh, a couple, couple of thoughts, a couple of questions. Um, one is that I... I could certainly see how practically every professional organization or professional group does what you're talking about. They have continuing education. That's right. They have 
meetings, you know, yes. dentists get together and doctors to get together and they have journals that are just for the doctors and the dentists and That's right. obviously uh, therapists of all sorts are required to do continuing education and, yeah. and so forth. Yeah. Um, spirit, spiritual teaching as a profession has always struck me as a little off mm-hmm. somehow. Mm-hmm. Because spiritual teachers don't go to spiritual teacher university and they don't get doctorates in spiritual teacher. And in general, they don't get certifications and and so forth. Yes. Um, So they don't have continuing education and they don't have review boards and those sorts of things. That's right. Um, There are some lineages, of course, where... uh, a teacher is told by another teacher that they're ready to teach and uh, and sent on their way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is primarily, uh, in my understanding, would be a primarily an Eastern tradi- tradition. And that's something that's kind of been brought over to the West in, in some traditions. Yeah. Um, so I, I have a feeling or suspicion that when a spiritual teacher begins to earn their living as a spiritual teacher, that a lot of potentially negative dynamics arise from that mm-hmm. and that there's, there's something inherently off about making a living from something which was given to you most likely freely. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious what, what your reaction to that is, or if you've had thoughts along those lines, or yeah. if ASI, if that's something that ASI has had discussions about. Yeah. We haven't directly addressed that, but it's come up. Um. And at the moment, my personal position is whatever will show up as a problem creating, then let's go there and have a look as to why. I I know that the model of doing this for a living and not doing it for a living, it has some parallels with mainstream professions. Does it come for free? Sure, the final breakthrough comes for free, but darn, you know, it takes away your phenomenal life. The cost is very high. <laughs> you end up being dragged into teaching. It, you know, it closes out the movie. It, it, it takes years and years and years of spiritual practice, at least it did in my case. Um, it takes everything from you. <laughs> You know, it's it's kind of like somebody said recently, oh, a PhD, my God, it's like a pound of flesh. And it's like, yep, my I think my spiritual path took more than a pound of flesh. And of course, you give it freely because uh, of course you do, because it, your viewpoint is so different at the end. And it makes sense that what you had in the first place was never worth anything anyway. So does it come for free? No, but the terms and the price has to be named differently 
to an academic qualification? What does that look like? And can it be accountable? I don't I, I don't think we can put that in normal, regular terms. And I would be reluctant to bring it on a par with, with the professional industrial standards. However, where do professional industrial standards and what we do overlap? Where do they overlap? We are being paid for a service, whether it's donation or whether we have a set fee. We're being paid for a service. We do have to turn up on time. We do need to be respectful. We do need to give value for money. I mean, there are certain things that actually do, whether we want to embrace them or not, they, they're valid. They're valid because that's how the world works. We can't do it for a bag of rice. I can't bring a bag of rice to the gas station and say, fill my tank. So, so we're moving more and more towards how does this look in the West? And how can we honour what it really is without it selling its soul by being a profession? I would hate for it to be a certified thing. But what are the, the benchmarks? What are the hallmarks of a good teacher? I don't know yet. And that's a piece of work we need to do. How do we name integrity? trustworthiness, honourable, but not doing it for any other motivation than in order, than than the the motivation to honour that which is the deepest of all. How can that come through? How many skills should a teacher have? So, for example, recently, I could see that one student got really, really traumatised by a teacher who was using um, techniques that, uh, what do they call it, uh, crazy wisdom, you know, by being really sharp with the students, coming in with a sword to, to really shatter the ego, but all it did was re-traumatize the student. Now, the student is broken. The teacher came under an awful lot of flack. I stayed out of it, but my my viewpoint is, the teacher in that case is expected to know what student is traumatized, when to use crazy wisdom and when not. Does that mean that every teacher is supposed to um, do, do trauma, deep training and trauma work so that they can only use certain techniques with students? It's like, oh, my God, this, this is just a rabbit hole. I don't know how we how, how do we get out of that? How I don't know what it looks like. But what I do know is that methods from the East don't transfer here. We have different expectations, different laws, different norms, different cultures. And so how the two meet, I don't know. Is it a vocation? Yes. I really personally feel, and I've, I've, I've always said this, if anybody wants to be a teacher, don't be a teacher. If you are dragged by the scruff of the neck, kicking and screaming, and you don't want to be a teacher, but you know you have to do it, you'll be a teacher. That's the criteria for being a teacher in my book, but that's a Jack O'Keefe thought. So, Who would want to do this? Good Lord, who would really want to do this? I mean, who would want to do it? <laughs> 
Well, <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of people who like to hear themselves talk or like, uh, you know, they like the idea of themselves telling other people. And there truths. I smell a rat. There we have the shadow. That's the shadow. Yeah, if they want to hear themselves talk, you know, just set up a YouTube channel and talk about, I don't know, painting a house, making cakes. See, like, just talk, just talk, you know, and and wherever there is that ambition, motivation, power play, unpack it. That's shadow stuff. That's dangerous material that needs to be unpacked. That's that leads to unethical, irresponsible teaching and will just create karma. You know, just just out of curiosity, we mentioned the Tibetan ideal of the enlightened teacher. Mm. Um, do you feel that that is something that has ever been achieved in this in this world, or in any time in this world, or is that something that we're still evolving towards? Hmm. There are definitely windows where that seeps through. I don't think I'm qualified to say anything more than that. <laughs> there are definitely times when I can hear somebody speaking and I'm like, whoa, that is, that's the fullness of outside of all of that coming through. And the mind and the body are so clean and so clearly in service to that. And I, and there's no compromise anywhere along the way. So definitely, personally, I I can spot where that happens. Is it a continuum for anybody? Right now, I believe no, because I think we wouldn't be here. If that was like a sustained state, liberation was a total, because I call that liberation as opposed to enlightenment awakened. That's my term for the outside of all of it. If that's absolutely sustained, then then the evolving part of our humanity wouldn't be able to evolve anymore. So I therefore deduce that actually it can't be here in a sustained way within the space-time continuum. It can't be here because the evolution would 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 have to be stopped. So the body would have to die. I have a couple quick questions and then we'll wrap it up. Mm-hmm. Um are there any um, are there any particular books that you recommend to people? Um, is there anything uh, current that you think is a really good book that you would recommend? You know, I don't read much. Um, How about mm-hmm. uh, that's that's fine if there's nothing that's fine. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm always curious about films if movies are something that you that my uh, guests indulge in if they have any particular films that have caught their eye along these lines of having a a message about deeper ways of being in the world. Oh, I love Netflix. (laughs) 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 And uh, okay. What, what, what's worthy of my two hours on Netflix? (laughs) So I enjoy I enjoy movies and series that blow out the limitations of the phenomenal mind. 
So, you know, the first one that, that, that did that mainstream that, that comes to mind right now is The Matrix. It just knocked something out of the park and was mainstream. It wasn't an art house movie. It cracked it. Something that I saw recently and loved it and I thought, oh, gosh, this breaks the limitations. It just it just pushes pushes out the limitations is the OA. Oh, yeah. 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 I saw the OA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you like it? Excellent. Hmm? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that I love that that knocks out any perception of that this phenomenal world is all that's real. It's like it pu- it pulls away the clouds a little bit and opens us up to potential and the other realms of how we can function. Like there's multidimensionality, which is what the OA does. And then there is the viewpoint that that sees that cause and effect is valid only within specific realms of, of, of existence. And then there's deeper than that that finds the whole lot just a curious exploration. So I love kiddie movies that have magic. I like anything that makes me curious and breaks the limits of what's accepted as being how it works. Uh, well, uh, to finish up, is there anything that you you feel like uh, uh, you want to mention that we haven't talked about or any final words that you want to leave people with? Cultivate an inner humility. And if you're in a position of spiritual leadership, do an inner inquiry to see if you're getting juice from any aspect of that role. And if anything about the Association for Spiritual Integrity rings a bell or interests you, go on the website. It's spiritual-integrity.org. We're, we're having a meeting for spiritual leaders and teachers. Um, whether somebody's an ASI member or not, I really don't, I don't mind. Uh, we're having it on at the start of the SAND conference this year, on the, the first day of the, th- that the conference oh. begins. Yeah, okay. to physically bring people together to see, you know, what do we talk about? So it's like Thursday, the 24th of October from one to six at the Dolce Hayes mansion. Um, We're going to just record the first half and not the second half because I want to compare and contrast. I want to see what do teachers and leaders, what do we talk about if we're not using it for PR, if we're not, if there's no soapbox. And you'll find that if, if people feel that it's confidential, there is absolutely a very different tone and quality to what we talk about and that alone raises red flags in my head it's like whoa what have we become here that we have to use everything as a self-promotion it's like you know it's the subtle things that kind of turn my stomach a little bit the subtle things of treating it as a profession 
that that have an insidious nature that we need to expose and explore and see, okay, what is it in me that wants to use everything as a, a soapbox for PR purposes? You know, um, I just think there's something very unhealthy about that. And so how do we be in the world and, you know, pay for our rent or our mortgage? How do we do that without selling our soul? What does that look like? And I don't think we're anywhere near knowing what the answer to that is yet. And that's that's the that's the making it up as we go along part, you know. But it's what I want to talk about, you know, to, to teachers so that we can find a way of, um, of, of embracing our fallibility and that we don't know how this looks in the West. We don't know, but we need to tidy up our act. Well, thank you, Jack. I will uh, I'll put links to I'll put links to the ASI and the SAND conference as well as your website. I'll have all that in the show notes so people can find that material easily. Thank you, Sean. Absolutely. It's been uh, it's been great talking with you. Yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation. You you've got great questions. I, I I like I like how you look at things. I really like those questions. You made me think about things I hadn't thought of before. So thank you for that. Sure, sure. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this edition of Journals of Spiritual Discovery. I'm your host Sean Nevins. For more information about today's guest, as well as more interviews, books, and other resources, go to spiritualteachers.org. That's spiritualteachers.org.